this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Well, I'm here today with Pete Gregg, one of the founders of the 24-7 movement. We're sitting on a couch. He's got a cup of tea in hand, and he's going to spend a few minutes telling us about how God has invited him on this journey with the Order of the Mustard Seed. Yeah. Pete, tell us your story. Well, it's so exciting to see the way that the Order is really growing now and the number of people around the world, um, partly under your leadership, Jill, that are getting excited about the opportunity of um, making these commitments as a framework for grace-fueled discipleship. For me, um, really, I suppose it began with 24-7 itself because we were inspired by the Moravians and uh, excited by the fact that, you know, there they were in Germany, 18th century, prayed nonstop for 100 years, changed the world. And so we had started our prayer room and it had gone bananas, you know, it was just spreading all over the world. And so we became more and more interested in the Moravians. We're like, what else do we need to learn from these dudes? And the more we studied, the more we discovered that the absolute key to understand what happened in the village of Hernhut in the 18th century and what happened with Count Ludwig Nikolaus von Zinzendorf, the kind of leader of the Moravian movement, was rooted in a thing called the Order of the Mustard Seed. And everyone kind of seemed to know about their prayer meeting and their missions movement, but almost no one knew about this order that uh, Sinsdorf had founded when he was at, at university. And as I looked into that, I discovered it was so beautifully simple. I'm just really simple. I like simple stuff. And they just made a promise to be true to Christ, to be kind to people. I love that it's not, you know, loving. It's kind to people. Because I, I have people often who've said in love and then they say the most horrible thing to me whereas I, I'm like do me a favor just be kind to me <laughs> you know uh, true to Christ kind of people and gospel to the nations and we may go yeah yeah they're into, na- into missions but back then people didn't really do missions they were in Christendom they kind of thought they everyone was saved so that that was why when a bunch of refugees turned up on Zinzendorf's land and said can we build a village he said okay because he had promised to be kind to people. Mm. It, it, it wasn't like um, just he was a nice guy. He'd made a promise. And then when they all, um, you know, started falling out and he called them together and they repented and the Spirit of God fell on the 13th of August, 1727, upon them, he called them to prayer because he knew he made a promise to be true to Christ. And then five years later to the day, they launched their missions movement because he knew there was still a third unfulfilled promise, which was gospel to the nations. So you want to understand the impetus behind the Moravian movement. It was the order of the mustard seed. So kind of, you can imagine, we're suddenly in the middle of this like prayer movement that's spreading all over the world. We're in half the nations on earth now. We're fascinated by these weird 18th century Germans who've hijacked our lives. We find out the key is this crazy order the mustard seed thing and we started to get really excited about the simplicity of their promise to be true to christ kind of people gospel nations we got really excited as well um, about 
um, the practicality of that because I, I just find that being Christian sometimes seems so complicated and here it is super simple. Um, and we worked out, you know, back in 2005, how do you do that stuff practically? And that's when we came up with the six practices. True to Christ, you do that through, you know, prayer and worship and creativity. Kind to people, how do you do that? Well, that's justice and mercy and it's hospitality. Gospel of Nations, how do you do that? Well, that's through, you know, evangelism and mission and learning. And so suddenly it's simple and it's practical and it's powerful. Clearly, look at what happened with the Moravians. And so... In 2005, we gathered in Holy Trinity Church, Clapham, in London, which is where the Clapham sect, William Wilberforce, you know, overthrew slavery in the British Empire. Um, that's where they used to worship. And we gathered there, and we were terrified. But we made our vows. Terrified because um, promising is scary in our culture. But actually what we found is it's been the most beautiful grace-filled wonderful journey and then 10 years later 2015 after a little bunch of us had been living by this rule of life for 10 years for a decade we started to think this is too good to keep to ourselves we need to kind of include other people in on this broaden the invitation people yeah people jumped in and said can we be part of this we extended i suppose the invitation as you say and and into that, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who leads the Anglican Communion, I think it's the third largest denomination on earth, he had heard about us and he said, do you want the Anglican Church to kind of acknowledge the order of the mustard seed as a proper religious order alongside, you know, um, the Franciscans, the Benedictines and all of that? And so that began a journey. It wasn't. We weren't becoming Anglican. Some of us are, but many of us aren't. But the Anglican Church is just one of the church bodies that's giving us the Facebook like, really, and just saying, you guys are legit, um, you know what you're doing most of the time, and we trust you. And so it's been a wild ride. And, um, Jill, you becoming global convenient of uh, the first global convener of the, of the Order of the Mustard Seed, October um, this year, is such a key moment of us throwing the invitation wide and saying, come on in, this is good news. Uh, this helps ordinary people live by a way of life that can change the world. So that, that, that's the excitement of this thing for me. That's wonderful. So you're using the language of us and we a lot. Can you just take a couple of minutes and share what is it meant for you personally in your own life to, to live according to you know, vows and, and to shape your life around these six practices. What's that been like for you? How has that changed and shaped you as yeah. an individual? I mean, I regularly kind of audit my life around the six practices, actually. And I find it's a bit like juggling. I'm terrible at juggling. I can just do three balls, but for not very long. I will drop one eventually. And so I'm always dropping a ball. But there's just grace, you know, in this. It's like you're never going to be perfect at all six. But it's a helpful mechanism. Sometimes I feel like I'm nailing hospitality, you know. But I, but maybe I'm really failing in, you know, prayer or something. And so this is just a... It's like a GPS system. It helps me navigate. Um, so at least... Um, 
you know, there are at least three moments in the year that I pause and audit. One is on the annual renewal of my own vows in February. One is on December 31st, just, you know, reviewing the year, thinking about the year ahead. Uh, and the third is, is, is always in October around the 24-7, you know, annual gra- gathering. So I audit my life around that. And uh, then I wear a ring on my finger. You know, that reminds me. It has the Greek, you know, no one lives for themselves. That's a constant reminder. This isn't about me. It's about others. And then if I'm really honest with you, Jill, the one out of the three vows I fail at the most, I'll tell, well, I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. <laughs> for me, it's definitely kindness. You know, I, I, just even in the way I drive a car. <laughs> I'm sometimes really unkind. The way I treat my dog sometimes is really unkind. The way I speak is sometimes unkind. So that that's the one I probably have to apologise most for. But I, I don't feel like God's beating me up. He's just, his, you know, this is the prodigal father. He loves to embrace us and forgive us. And this is just a mechanism that helps me find my way home to him. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Talk to me just a little bit about the power of making promises and making promises not to one another because we're promising to God, but making promises with one another. I will, but you've dodged yours. You're meant to tell me which, which, you, which one. <laughs> Kindness. You... I think if you were to ask my husband, <laughs> he would be a witness that, that to be kind to others. Yeah. I think that, you know, when we're talking about kindness, it's the love. What does love look like today? Yeah. Love is so beautifully abstract, but what does it actually look like in the here and now? And that's always the yeah the challenge. That's exactly right. Um, no, the power of promising is, you know, I, I notice particularly with the the kind of millennial emerging generation that um, people are, are pretty scared of making any long term commitments, and the danger is that we miss our lives one year and one relationship at a time. Um, before you know it, five, ten years have passed. And there's something about hunkering into um, commitments that means we have to embrace the fear of missing out because by committing to something, you exclude other things. And we understand this with, say, marriage, the power of promising. <laughs> it's why so many people are terrified on their wedding night because it's not they don't want to... Sorry, the night before they get married... Some people are terrified on their wedding nights as well. But but it's that thing of, oh, my goodness, in sickness and in health, I'm committing myself to someone. But we know that it is also the gateway to uh, often the most beautiful relationship. And so um, we understand that it's only through promising, through covenant, that we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the problems I think we got is when people preach the gospel, they just kind of say, come to Jesus, you know, do Jesus a favor, become a Christian, he's terribly nice, and your life will be better. And actually, I just don't read that in the Gospels. I read Jesus saying, hey, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. The only way to step into the Holy Holies is through my blood, you know. And, and so there's a cost. It's, it's through cost and it's through covenant. And, and I think one of the reasons that there's such power in the OMS vow is that many of us sadly when we became christians didn't understand that it was a covenant relationship we thought it was a kind of religious lifestyle choice and this is understanding that you know when we take communion we're celebrating a covenant that jesus bled through 
on the cross. You know, it, it's we're, we're, it's a it's a covenant relationship. So, um, yeah, the power of promising gives shape and sustainability to life itself. And I I I've, I've got I've not got many, but I've got just a few covenants that I've made in my life. And one is to my wife, and um, uh, one is clearly to to uh, the Lord in the context of the communion of the mustard seed order. Hmm. So, Pete, is there anything that you'd like to say, maybe to new candidates, people who are are stepping into this year-long period of preparation uh, to to look towards taking vows next fall? Is there any? encouragement that you'd like to bring to yeah. them yeah I, you know I, I think that um, firstly you want to do this because the spirit of holiness is working in you drawing you to uh, greater intimacy with the father and so don't be scared this is something that it's not like a test you've got to pass this is a beautiful journey that God has invited you to come on. And um, my own experience, Jill, over what has now been um, a 12-year journey is that these vows, this way of life works and it goes deeper and becomes more meaningful as the years go by. And finally, I would just say it, it's okay to fail. Um, you know, God is full of amazing grace. And so this is not, um, you know, the vows of the order of the mustard seed are not like, uh, you know, an Iron Man outfit that will make you spiritually invincible. This is a little way for the weak. Many of your friends don't need to become members of the order, order of the mustard seed because they're already in a great place with God. Good on them. But I'm not like that. I needed a little help, I needed a, a bit of a GPS, a bit of framework, some pr promising, and it helps me because I'm weak and I fail a lot to receive a little more of God's grace in my life. That's wonderful. Um, I think it helps too being in a community of people who are, yeah. we're talking about the power of promises, but then we've also got this, there's a bunch of us who promise and we're all facing yeah. the same direction together and cheering one another on and praying for one another. Do you think you could just finish off our time together by praying for just members of the order and those who are considering entering into the order? Yeah, sure. We, we can't do this on our own, can we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your invitation into covenant relationship. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to transform us from one degree of glory to the next. And I pray for every person listening to this now that you would reveal more of your love and more of your purpose for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace 
as we seek to follow his invitations to be true, to be kind, and to go.